Hey everybody, Christian here with this bonus content for DLC, and I am super excited for this conversation. I am sitting here with Jord Tittle and Corey Schmitz to talk about their upcoming game, the upcoming game, C-Smash VRS. But before we get into that, I would love it if you could both introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then maybe how that transitions into C-Smash VRS. And Jord, I'll let you go first, if you wouldn't mind telling us... Uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, why you're excited about this game. Hey, hey, I'm Jörg Tittel, and I'm a writer and director and producer and now also publisher, oh my God, of games uh, and films. And uh, well, I don't publish films, you can't publish them really, but uh, I've directed <laughs> films and I'm producing a film coming out next year with John Malkovich in one of the leads called A Winter's Journey, which is a film we've been working on with PlayStation, actually, and with uh, Media Molecule on to design and build the sets and stuff. So, and that my wife, Alex Helfricht, is, is written and is directing this beautiful painted animated film. And then uh, I used to be a video game journalist a good two and a half or so decades ago, and which means I'm very, very old. And uh, and so then back then I worked for the official Dreamcast magazine, for instance, and Next Gen, which was the now sadly no longer uh, uh, it no longer exists uh, uh, sort of sister magazine to Edge, which is the beautiful UK magazine Edge, which we actually just graced the cover of that with C Smash. But like, we'll talk, yeah, yeah. For those listeners who uh, sadly don't have access to this video feed, because you won't. <laughs> Because we're actually <laughs> naked while we're recording this. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Corey is currently dancing in front of, it's very strange to look at, by the way, in front of our edge cover. Um, but, uh, but yes, and so, uh, and, uh, and then I'm, I've, I just make video games as well. And, uh, and there's one called, a game called The Last Worker, which is coming out on the 30th of this month on everything, pretty much, VR, consoles, and PC, a game that's been in development for a long time. And with that same incredible developer, Wolf and Wood, um, we have also been working on C-Smash. And yeah, perhaps later we can talk about that sort of those old Dreamcast days and all sorts of other crazy routes that to this project um, that I just briefly alluded to. No, yeah, yes. that's perfect. I mean, I am a fan of your work. I've seen some of your older work and, and trailers and concepts for some of this upcoming stuff. And then I think it was Corey's, uh, maybe it was the first tweet. I'm not on social media much anymore. But I saw, I, I, I keep abreast of Corey's work, certainly, always. And then I saw this, and I saw the Edge cover. And uh, yeah, my Dreamcast sense was tingling. I was so excited about this game, and I love I love what I've seen. Corey, um, some folks here at DLC may know you and your work already a little bit, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself and perhaps a little bit about um, what drew you to this project and why you're naked in front of the Edge cover right now. <laughs> I'm fully clothed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, by the way, yeah, Richard uh, said he likes to keep abreast. That's what he was uh, yeah, alluding to. There you go. We're off the rails. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Already, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm Corey Schmitz. Uh, I'm a graphic designer, um, mostly working in the game industry, but I dabble in some other realms. Uh, but yeah, I mostly work on logos and branding for games and studios. Uh, I did... Um, bunch of stuff for playstation and i made like the logo for valorant and i worked on the oculus logo and polygon and um a lot of stuff <laughs> control uh yeah um analog stray but um yeah and i, I also worked on the uh, dlc podcast logo 
<laughs> and all of the buttons on my bag <laughs> that no one can see are all are all Corey logos over the years. Yeah. Um, um, but I've been at it for like, yeah, 12 ish years, just solo freelance operation. And um, uh, yeah, when Jorg hit me up about this project, uh, I, I was like, wow, that's such a cool, um, uh, a cool series to work on. Like, like I, it's one of those things that you would never think would come back, but then uh, it just seems like a perfect fit. So I immediately said yes. <laughs> I'll zoom us out a little bit for folks who don't know. See Smash um, is, uh, and if I get this wrong, please someone correct me. But a, a the next entry in the Cosmic Smash um, saga series. I can't call it a series yet because there hasn't been two. But Cosmic Smash exactly. was yeah. a <laughs> Naomi Naomi board arcade game made by Sega and then later ported to the Dreamcast in 2001. And if you don't know what Cosmic Smash is, dear listener, I am so sorry that you got to educate yourself on some Dreamcast hits. Um, but it's a breakout-like, uh, if you were trying to kind of extrapolate the genre of what Cosmic Smash was back in the day. And very much of the, the Dreamcast era. It was quirky, it had style, it had a, a, a feeling to it that I think went above and beyond... Um, any of its individual parts per se. And in my opinion, a lot of Dreamcast games were that. If I were to talk about um, Jet Set Radio and what that was, it's not one individual thing. It's the whole buffet that it brought to the senses that really elevated it. And I think Cosmic Smash was also one of those games. And now here we are 22 years later, getting another installment in this uh, series like the next installment and now bringing it to VR. Um, maybe you're, this is the time that we can talk about that and going back to 2001. And in my head, 2023 in VR oddly feels like 2001 <laughs> a little bit. And it's playful, experimental um, places for cool vibes and projects to exist. And I'm curious what that was like for you. I've read certainly some of the interviews you've already done, you know, working with Sega and stuff like that, but I'd love for the DLC folks to hear, hear some of that good stuff as well. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can get them some exclusive deal content. <laughs> ooh, uh, ooh, ooh. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth in the next few minutes, but, uh, but, uh, but no, it's, it, it was interesting. Like the Naomi was interesting because that was an arcade board that was actually a Dreamcast with more RAM. And so, so it wasn't actually a port as much as as mm. much as it was actually just the same game, um, and it didn't require much RAM because there was you know graphically it wasn't a hot, super complex game. Although when you take a look at it now, it still looks fresh because it had style. It had incredible style. I remember seeing a f one screenshot of it in Famitsu, the Japanese magazine, and I, back then I was I was living in New York. And, I, and I'd written an interview actually with Yoshitaka Amano, who was at the time living in New York and working out of a studio there on, on Final Fantasy. But he was actually at, at the time working with Neil Gaiman on a project. And, uh, and I got to interview him for Famitsu, which was incredible. Um, and so I got to invite him to the studio. And when I finally got that issue, like three or four months later, and my, my nonsense had been translated into Japanese to a point where I could no longer read any of it. I'm sure they improved it greatly. And, <laughs> and there were some pictures of uh, Amano-san in there. And I flipped the page. And then on the next page or so, there was this incredible 
like reduced style game and it said cosmic smash and i saw the word naomi in there and i saw dc it's like wow there is and i knew that the dreamcast was about to be discontinued because i was working for the official dreamcast magazine so all that was a very sad time so it was almost like this like phoenix rising from the ashes it was this sort of iconic thing that that said like yeah sure maybe this thing is dying but i'm gonna i'm gonna leave a mark and i'm going to make sure that you remember me and when eventually that iconic cover came out this uh, with which was this like dvd case which was unusual for the dreamcast especially in japan and had this orange disc that was shining through this semi-transparent sleeve it was so gorgeous it's like wow these people really have put so much thought and care into this you know knowing that it probably will reach a very very small audience um and so i fell in love i was just like this is courageous it's beautiful it's essential and, and I knew that it would outlast all the other sort of, you know, PS2 and other sort of like super textured, quote unquote, realistic looking games that were coming out at the time. And sure enough, to this day, this is a game that has inspired lots of people, including perhaps even Corey, to do what we do and, 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 and what true. we sort of strive to achieve. Corey? Oh, yeah, it's true. I, I was going to say, I mean, this is like one of those games that kind of stands with like... Uh you know, like Wind Waker or Res or Killer7 that just looks so good after all these years because it, they're going for something different instead of the run-of-the-mill kind of realistic look. Um, I totally agree. And, and yeah, the cover is just like legendary, like super inspirational, like great use of space and, and, and having that disc shine through is just really unique. Um, definitely like harkens back to that really creative era. Um, there's a lot of stuff on like PS1 at that same time too, like Parappa and and some you know games that cost like twenty bucks, which is which was I thought was always cool. Like you could get like little creative experiences on the you know for a good budget. And um, yeah, I, I think it, it's it's a very memorable game that I, I do think inspired a lot of people, even though most people haven't heard of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The Dreamcast also was this incredible place for um, it. Really, I think it really invented modern day indies, like mm. Sega did with 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 the uh, with the Dreamcast and the way they were going about their business, which maybe didn't work out in the short term, but I think in the long term they've won because th that spirit has continued to resonate. And as far as I'm concerned, um, the, the games that are made in that spirit are the only one that have meaning to me today as well. Um, it's uh, it's that they encouraged all the developers and they were sort of semi-independent from Sega. They're owned by Sega, but they had total autonomy, whether it was Tetsuya Mizuguchi's studio, which was at the time called United Game Artists, or or Sega Rosso, which was founded by his uh, director on Sega Rally, because Tetsuya had directed uh, had produced Sega Rally. And the director on Sega Rally is a guy who actually was uh, was one of the art directors on the original Ridge Racer before making some other cool shit. And he then um, founded the studio Sega Rosso and was the exec producer on, on Cosmic Smash. And he's a friend of ours and, you know, he's been incredibly supportive throughout this process, which is stunning. But, but, it, but Sega said to these people, just make the game you want to make. Like, that was the rule. And, and that explains why those games are what they are and that why they still resonate to this day, even though perhaps they might not have had the sort of market sort of impact at the time. You know, the reason that we're still wanting to bring back that feeling or try and take it further and try and actually do, you know, make them a success so many years after uh, is, is kind of gorgeous, I think.
Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff, at least for me in that Dreamcast era, and maybe even just that early aughts of gaming that feels like, you know, seeing a, a visual artist at the gallery you just happened to pop into or seeing a band at CBGB before it closed or, you know, at Deep Ellum or something. And it's like this small event and you're, you're sitting and you look around and you're like, this is happening right now. And it might, they might not ever become mainstream. It might not ever blow up the way you think they will, but it resonates with you in such a, a personal way that while it's never the million, hundred million seller, it has inspired so many artists from that that have then become those hundred million sellers. And I think we're seeing a lot of that indie spirit in VR now as well. And I think there's a testament to what VR brings to the table and that so many of these early aught games are coming back and I think are perhaps best experienced in VR. Res was a fantastic game when it came out in VR. I think it's only been made better. Um, also similar aesthetic a little bit to Cosmic Smash in terms of the humanoid shape and kind of how it's... Uh, hanging in space at times um humanity a new game coming out as well that doesn't require vr but seems to elevate it and seems to play in this indie spirit and i'm going to use the word vibe too many times but it, it there's a vibe or an essence to it that is um more than just looking at it on a flat screen and i i'm curious Jorg, i'll set this up to you what bringing cosmic smash to vr you know what the biggest fear was in terms of taking this iconic game again, maybe not the hundred million seller. Oh, they're remaking resident evil four type pressure, but certainly pressure of I'm going to make a game, a new game out of this iconic timeless thing. And I'm going to do it in a medium that didn't exist back then. And kind of, was that scary, exciting? What, the, what those feelings were like? Well, I, I fear is not really a thing that, drives me much but i think the but i, I do I, there were two concerns that were most important to me a um i wanted to make sure that i get the blessing of the original creators so even though there are some people working in a licensing department in sega and god knows it took me a couple of years to convince them like what i wanted to make sure of is that you know that sasaki-san you know who i just mentioned sega also founder at least would give me his blessing and to, to do this and that he would side with, you know, what I wanted to do with it. But, but also one can't make a game on, on, on the, you know, alone, uh, not a game like this, uh, also have no absolute skills. So, you know, that's why I'm a director, <laughs> but, um, but so, so, so Corey was actually the first person I approached because I felt that this game, um, is about graphic design. It, to me, it felt like it, it, it's, it's graphic design made physical. And and so I had to, if, if a game that to me felt like to, to this day uh, is a design icon, I had to go to the one guy that understands the idea of making iconic images and iconic brands and iconic design a leading a leading light in games. and. Because I mean, for instance, you can go on a on a storefront on one of those endless thumbnail menus on the you know PlayStation Store or Steam or whatever, and most games look exactly like now. I mean, it's all the sort of like purplish color scheme and sort of like neon lights and sort of cyberpunk whatever. It it is so. It's the logo has suddenly become the most essential element that will distinguish games that are all resembling each other. The logo is the one that makes them stand apart. 
and Corey is the person that is actually responsible for the most iconic games in on storefronts and digital storefronts and beyond. Um, and at the same time, Corey also understands physical media and, you know, for instance, the work that he's done with, with Tetsuya actually, and with, you know, on, on the Resri issues and things like that and books and, 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 and vinyls and things is, is gorgeous. And, and VR is a physical medium, you know, and actually mm. to me, games are a physical medium. They started out as a physical and a social medium. That's what the arcades were. You know, we've almost removed ourselves from that because of these big deck, big tech. So I want us to be like sort of, you know, sitting at home and like stuck in then second screening and, you know, stealing our data or whatever they want to do. <laughs> but, but so what I love about VR is that it's a return to the feeling that Sega and others were giving us at the very beginning of, of, of our gaming journey with, with OutRun, for instance. When I sat down as an eight-year-old in an OutRun cabinet in 1986 in Brussels at a fun fair, you know, my feet could barely reach the pedals. But I was, that was a virtual reality experience. You know, I was sitting inside the headset, right? You know, it was moving me about. It was magical. And so it was so even back in 2001, uh, when I played Cosmic Smash for the first time, I wanted it to be in a VR game because Sega to me always was a VR company. Um, virtual Racing VR was actually going to be a VR game for the Genesis because they were going to release a Sega VR headset back in 1993, which they announced at CES and they're going to sell it for $200. And then some kid probably vomited in front of Tom Kalinske or something. And, <laughs> and they were afraid of lawsuit and they canceled the whole thing. But so it was my dream for literally for two decades to, to bring this to VR because I wanted to be inside this world. York, did you ever see the, uh, did you ever see the prototype that Tetsuya had, or I think he had it with the, uh, the two Genesis or the two Game Gear screens as like the for the headset <laughs> was that him? Yes, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because he was always <laughs> because but Sasaki-san had made you know he made a game with with Michael Jackson right where where you'd get into this like port thing with this surround screen and surround sound and Michael would be like go left go right you know and then you'd be like. And you fucking fly around. And it was incredible. It was this super immersive experience. Those guys were, they understood synesthesia. That's what they were going for from the beginning. Like these two dudes, you know, they, we, I mean, we they can full circle it with, uh, you know, the screen music video kind of has a cosmic smash vibe at the end of it. And it gets us right back to where we started here. <laughs> Let's, okay. So this is the DLC exclusive. This is it. We're coming to it because Kenji Sasaki has confirmed to me that the Scream video with Janet and Michael Jackson was the main inspiration for Cosmic Space. There you go. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of uncanny, you know, when you look yeah. at it in retrospect. It was the most expensive music video ever made at the time. I remember that, yeah. The MTV Countdown had that as, like, number one. It's stunning. So it has the same sort of it's white really cool, yeah. backgrounds. It yeah. has the sort of Japanese, but it also, it, all, it also took a lot from Sega, right? At the same time. Like oh, yeah, it was, it sure. was super inspired. By, so it was this cultural exchange. And we now know that Michael Jackson had written music for Sonic 3, which, you know, uh, <laughs> Yuji Naka, bless him, had <laughs> confirmed a couple months ago in a tweet. Um, it's interesting that that time. Anyway, yeah, we're we're going off a tangent there, but no, that's a, that's a great <laughs> tangent. And I think, I think the scream music video, um, much like Jameer Kwai's, um, video is a video that has remained timeless where it was 
a, a fu- had a future sensibility and setting at the time, but done in a way that seems clean and timeless. Or 2001 A Space Odyssey 2 for a film that was like a future setting, but that was built in such a functional way that it is still pleasing today. Corey, I'm curious what it was like for you to work in, you know, in VR for this game and to to build the look ideas, kind of what that approach was like after, um, you know, you got the call and ready to go. Was there, uh, oh, I know exactly what this is going to be. I love design process. I, I love hearing about it. So anything about that, that that you're willing to share or can share, did you just wake up in a cold sweat 1.30 in the morning and be like, I got it. You know, give me, give me a pen. Here we go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was exciting. Cause yeah, it's just such an evocative game to work on. And um, there's a kind of a lot to pull from and a lot of cool inspirations like around the periphery of it. But um, I mean, I think the first thing I started with was like working on the logo. Cause it was just kind of immediate. And I was just like, I think I probably started working on an illustrator while I was like talking to York like for the first time. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's just so obvious. Like, okay we're just going to kind of evolve it. And um, you said it's like, you said vibes a lot. Like this is like a vibes game for sure. So uh, I was just kind of trying to, to just capture that tone. Like there's nothing specific. There's no like specific reason to a lot of the stuff. It's just kind of um, getting the feel right. So I, I kind of took that approach with the logo, like going from, you know, that, that classic C that they had, which had two, two parts to it and just adding a third part. It's pretty simple, just kind of doing that and then just kind of, you know, evolving the look and streamlining it a bit and just making it a bit more uh, like geometrically consistent. And then um, coming up with uh, the logo type, which is like the, you know, the text by the, the logo and, just honing that in that, that took a while, just getting the right feel for that. Um, and then we brought in my friend, Dan, AKA archetype, who's super amazing designer. Um, he's very, very technically minded, very precise, uh, works with like a lot of, you know, negative space and just kind of this really clean look. Um, and I, you know, we thought he'd be perfect. So he helped out a lot on the, um, throughout the whole process but like especially on like our pitch deck um which like in retrospect like the pitch deck looks like like a you know better than a lot of like final games <laughs> uh <laughs> like instruction booklet or something like like whatever the equivalent is like it looks yeah, really actually, cool one, one day we'll release that pitch deck for people to see because yeah. <laughs> it was i mean and and book for, because there's gonna be a book that we're gonna release with uh this is another exclusive i think um <laughs> We're going to release a book with uh, with the fine folks at Lost and Cult later this year. Um, it's going to be an art book, and uh, also they're, this, they're the publisher also behind the beautiful Lock On magazine uh, quarterly, for which uh, Corey actually designed the logo. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah working. It was amazing because we were this tr- tr- this team of three at the beginning: uh, Corey, Archetype, Dan, and and myself devising this pitch deck like setting the sort of you know look bible or whatever for the for the game but also creating with that a sort of an argument for sega to hopefully you know grant us the rights to do this and and then uh, kenji uh, 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 you know uh, gave us his blessing allowed us to use his name in there and and uh, and kenny she the wonderful musician and dj 
who had lent one of his tracks, one of the amazing dynamic tracks to Rez, um, also joined us. And then a orig- at first very reluctant uh, Ryan Bousfield, creative director at Wolf and Wood, because we had already been working on the last worker. We were like a year into development at the time. It's been a couple <laughs> since. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. If it happens, I might do it with you. Yeah, just talk. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but Jorg was like working on like two other games at the same time and movies and just like a million things. So first first game submitted to VR festivals that didn't accept game. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm glad you're letting because, yes, I should have set this up better. Um, Yes. uh, Pioneering new spaces and reinventing old spaces and working in. I, I love this beautiful blend of like VR and technology and cinema and and design and everything that's coming together yeah so you you and uh the developers seem to have their hands full and i like i like the idea of this beautiful pitch deck coming to be and being like um can you make your hands bigger please uh dear friends (laughs) because we have more work to do i don't know i just felt like the world was coming to an end or perhaps it always has been but i mean it certainly seems to be spinning in all sorts of crazy directions and i felt that since life being short i felt like um I had to I had to spin multiple plates um, uh, in order to sort of leave a mark and leave something positive behind uh, and give something give some enjoyment to people because the last worker is a it's a beautiful game I'm enormously proud of it and it's uh, but it's also it's, it's funny but it's also intense it's intensely funny and it's also intensely dark and it's it's uh, and it's a narrative driven game and there's a lot of opinions in there there's a lot of you know there's a lot of satire in there it's it's quite a punk game and uh on an epic scale uh made by just a team of 10 you know ultimately uh including freelancers you know uh so it's been really hard to make and then so so c smash was also not just an additional thing but also a palette cleanser in a way it felt clean it felt like something where we can strip away all narrative and all dialogue and there's like tens of thousands of lines of dialogue inside in the last worker recorded by this enormous cast and blah 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 um but here like the idea of like being able to just ah make everything about just feeling the experience like feeling good inside of it like making the player just you know relax from all of this noise out there just felt yeah, essential very to me clean aesthetic like there's i don't there's no textures or or I mean, there might be, but some, but there's no effects, or it's just very clean and and slick. And how would you describe it? You are just like, yeah, I think it's it's there's like no extra we, there's no extra elements. There's nothing we we, we decided to, in it. we we were super design nerds about it. So we, for instance, went to maybe an obvious design reference, but one of the essential ones, which is Dita, who is Dita Rams, and you know, and I would. And one of the sentences we actually put him in the pitch deck, pitch deck as well. We put less but better by Dieter Ranz. This wonderful phrase, yeah, less but better. That is sort of one of the tenements of design for him, and it's it's true. Like if you if you and also I, my father, you know, who's no longer with us, but he would always tell me like if you, the smartest person uses the simplest words because they don't have to impress you with their incredible vocabulary or by overcomplicating things. And also the smartest person gets to distill complex ideas into simple thoughts. And, and if we can do that with a game, it will feel so unlike everything else out there, which has become so filled with, you know, uh, features and effects and freaking whatever, ray tracing, whatever. Um, I just don't want to look at realism in games because I see it outside and it's 
kind of sucks right now. It's a bummer. <laughs> you know, reality uh, yeah. is a bummer at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bouncing off of uh, the Dieter Rams uh, stuff, like that was something else that was cool was um, when we were working on like the UI, for instance, um, uh, archetype, he did most of like the heavy lifting on the UI, but I think we all kind of directed it in some sense. And, and, and uh, we really wanted to get that right. That was like kind of the main thing that the designers worked on was like the menus and how that looks and how it feels. And, um, and just the, like we, I think uh, Jorg mentioned Dieter Rams and I think um Archetype was really influenced by the uh, the 72 Olympic program by Otto Eicher. And I was kind of thinking more about like that kind of Y2K era um, aesthetic. Well, a bit more like there's like another aesthetic called like Gen X soft club that I, I really like. That's um, it's kind of, it, it's similar. It's similar. It's kind of, stripped back and, and really clean and it uses like the Swiss fonts and, and has like cool photography and like, you know, lots of white uh, negative space. Um, and, and they have like a lot of rounded corners and a lot of like dot uh, icons. And I think all three of those aesthetics kind of melded together in like a really unique, cool way that totally honors the original game. Um, but it looks you know, it, it looks of the same vibe going back to vibe again. A big, <laughs> but, a big but it's challenge. Like a total evolution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a big challenge was to then take this because these are all fundamentally two dimensional design mm -hmm. schools. I mean, even Dieter Rams's work, like, ultimately is meant to be looked at frontally. I mean, in a way. I mean, it's like you, you they're, they're just such beautiful panels and they're just, they feel 2D to me. But I've also realized they are 3D objects. And so to capture that idea in a game to physicalize graphic design means, because I mean, Corey just said we have no effects. We actually have effects in the game, but they don't feel like effects. They feel like graphic mm. design that's mm. like in motion. So for instance, when the ball is moving slowly, it leaves a shadow of balls behind it, which are changing in the gradient style with, but the great, but not in a gradient, but in, a, in sort of with the colors sort of changing in intensity. And there's a very, the, the color palette is a piece of art in our game because there's a very, there's only a very few colors that we actually get to use in the game. And so everything has to work within that. But so the ball, but if it, if it moves fast, then it leaves a streak behind. The streak is actually just a line in space, but, but we train the player to gradually look at it as if it was a representation of speed, which is counterintuitive in a way because a line shouldn't feel fast, but it does here. And it's amazing to be in that. And then also, like, if a ball hits a wall, it will leave a dot ripple effect, which will, so instead of, like, like particles flying ever or whatever, you see these just dots because you realize that there's dots embedded in everything, every single panel, every surface in the game has this there's a lot dot, of dots in this game dot dot dna <laughs> but it feels uh, so I'm, I'm really sorry to tryptophobes out there uh but actually yeah. i have tested <laughs> on a on a trip i don't know if you if the, for the listeners who don't know what a tryptophobe is is someone who has a fear of dots and holes i don't know if do you know that exists christian uh-uh this is new yeah it's more about yes. the holes right 
It's more like, about the holes, I think. Yes, and I've yeah. tested it in a friend of mine who is, and I was, I was very scared that she would uh, freak out, and she was fine. So <laughs> I can't guarantee that if you happen to be a tryptophobia D listener, you might not freak out in this uh, .DNA game, but uh, I think you'll be fine. I, I do the final love... boss battle. <laughs> <laughs> the the idea of a flow state not in terms of like playing res or tetris effect or something like that but in terms of uh actual user experience flow of getting into a game or an experience and a lot of times in flat games those can be wonderful delightful experiences but they can also be held up with um required corporate logos uh, or licenses or something like that, but then also just not spending time making that a focus of the experience. Oh, you're going to see this, but we want you to live in this world and go on this adventure with this character or, you know, do this platforming. And I think in VR, again, for me, that user experience flow becomes even more important because I am living in a space where I've had some wonderful VR games, Gran Turismo 7. I love in VR. I absolutely adore it. But it certainly uh, bounces you in and out. You know, the mm -hmm. menus aren't a place that you live in. They are not, they're aesthetically pleasing on a flat screen. And I love the music and the design behind them. But that VR experience is a little less than as you kind of bounce in and out of races. Whereas I think some of the best VR games are games that uh, you know, the design you don't see where you don't even realize you're interacting with design because it is part of the experience of playing the game. And a menu doesn't feel like a menu. It feels like um, a delicious first course to not sound pretentious, but this idea that everything fulfills a purpose and a goal. And as people are listening to this, the demo is out uh, for C Smash, so folks can experience that version of the, uh, uh, of the game. But from what I've seen of the game, and certainly... Um, what has existed of Cosmic Smash is something that I think takes that design philosophy from the very beginning through the end of the game where the player's time is meant to be an experience. And I, I'm, I'm curious if there were um, what extra thought perhaps was put into that. Corey, I'll start with you for the, a VR designed game versus if someone's going to be interacting with it on a flat screen and, and not needing to create a world that's both where some games, I'll use humanity again as an example, uh, runs on a flat screen, great, but also is catering to a VR audience with C Smash VRS, C Smash VRS, you're catering just to that VR audience. And I was wondering if that was um, freeing perhaps in terms of how you engaged in that design. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, humanity and VR is like a whole different thing in my opinion. Like it's so just a transcendent like change from the flat. I mean, the, the flat one looks gorgeous, but man, when you see it in VR, that's like special, like it's crazy. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's, 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 as far as like UI, it's interesting because you're not working with like physical boundaries, like a screen as much, but we were just working with like field of view. And um, it was actually cool making like the menus for instance, because um you you forget that you're like also designing not only in that in that uh in that space that that large physical space but you also have like the 3d element so um like we have a menu system that is layered like in kind of a parallax way where there's like i can't remember exactly how many layers but like the importance of each um panel is is closer to the uh 
is closer to the viewer. So, and it, but it's only subtle. It's, it's like, you know, a, just a bit of depth in between them. So um, that, that's the kind of stuff that we had in mind when we were designing it. It's just like, how can we use this to kind of elevate the experience a bit? Um, it was it's, stuff it's, like it's subtle. I think subtle is the key word here as well is because, you know, I remember watching Mad Max Fury Road in 3D uh, and 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 that was not how it was not filmed with 3D cameras. They added the 3D later, and there's a moment at which the steering wheel sort of the steering wheel, yeah, flies, flies towards to you. <laughs> the rest of the film had not not a single meaningful 3D film moment, but also this one was completely meaningless because is it important for me to look at this particular steering wheel up close? Like, why do I need to see this? So. So the idea of actually using a medium and its magic in an essential way is is important, I find. And so that's been the important thing. Whenever we felt that something is gimmicky, we would drop it. So so there was all these conversations. I mean, we have like, you know, this like endless Discord stream, you know, on, uh, you know, we're doing with, with, with Wolfenwood, with Corey, with Archetype, with art director Rob Davis uh, as well. Uh, where we've just been like, you know, nah, that just feels like a gimmick. Nah, that's too much. That's now nah, here you're just showing off. And so we've been doing a lot of this to, because we want it to be delightful, but we also don't want it to feel like a gimmick. And mm. and we didn't want anything to be loud. We wanted everything to be beautiful and just right. Um, because, because yeah, nothing's makes, in your face at all. It's, not, it's, everything feels relaxing. Even yeah, when it's yeah, intense, yeah. it's intensely relaxing even when you're getting super physical and super sweaty and in, 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 I think we've taken the work out of the workout, you know, with this game, but, <laughs> but the, but the other thing that's, but we also put delightful things in it. Like I think we take an advantage of the meeting, for instance, you know, the cosmic bus was this sort of iconic thing in the original game, I mean, kind of a nonsensical thing because you're on a bus and then you're playing squash between stations or whatever, or cosmic smash. In space. Um, <laughs> So, like, so we have this shuttle that is also the menu system, and we've actually, I've actually also, I loved Corey's logo so much that I transformed it into a space station. So the space station is shaped. If you see, look at the teaser uh, side, you might see that the space station is actually Corey's logo, and you're inside of those C rings. And so we've created a a, a system, a transport system within the 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 space station that eventually shoots you out into space for more distant adventures. But the shuttle inside the space station is also almost like a theme park ride because between every stop and i.e. every menu, sub-menu, you get to see a different corner of the space station. And um, so I look forward to uh, listeners in the full game because in the, in the demo you get to only see one of the stations um, in the full game experiencing, you know, the, 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 you know, the extent of, thought that we've put all put into sort of building giving it a life of its own and also also allowing characters that only appeared in the end credits in the original game uh the, the cosmonauts as we call them they have you know we've given them a whole a whole life a whole sort of um uh, uh, a whole logic to them as well without being narratively driven i think people will be able to interpret their own world building into it which has been a lot of fun as well the demo is out now as people are listening to this, uh, available on PlayStation VR 2. Um, if you don't have a PlayStation VR 2, you can order one directly from Sony in the United States. It's still the only way that you can get one. Um, other territories, you can get it from retailers. If you've listened to the main show, you certainly hear Jeff and I praise 
our experience with PSVR 2. It is my favorite headset. I think because I thought the Quest would be it because I could play it anywhere, but I think because I could play it anywhere, I almost played it nowhere. I didn't set the space up for it. Um, and the PSVR 2, the OLED screens, the the hood, so to speak, I, the, there's a lot less light leak. The Sense controllers are fantastic. So C-Smash good. VRS looks fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask the question because I have you both here, but I think I know the answer. Release date, question mark? Uh, as uh, the new trailer that we've just released on uh, the 23rd of March has revealed, uh, the full game <laughs> will come out on the 23rd of June. So, yes, so 23rd of June, 2023, uh, essentially 23 years after the original game was released on Naomi. Yeah, th- that's that's why the 23 number has been so prevalent in all of our design as well, and all of our different story beats in our marketing, you know, rendered in the beautiful font that Corey and an archetype have so beautifully um, honed and perfected and polished. Um, yeah, I hope that uh, you'll love the demo and, and the full game even more because there's so much that we are not showing yet. Well, your Corey, thank you so much for chatting with me. The demo out now, it launched on uh, the 23rd of this month, full game, June 23rd, 2023. It is C Smash VRS. I'm so excited to play it. Congratulations on everything that you've put out into the world thus far. And I'm so excited for C Smash to continue to inspire future artists to make cool stuff. Thanks so much. Christian, thank you so much for having us.